This is Healthcare Strategies. Hi, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Olivia Kaler, Senior Editor of Life Science Intelligence and Pharma News Intelligence. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Michael Racky, Medical Director of Neurology at Quest Diagnostics, a medical laboratory company that collaborates with various hospitals and clinics worldwide. Dr. Racky is a neurologist specializing in neurodegenerative brain disorders, such as Alzheimer's disease. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Racky. Glad to be with you. All right, so we're gonna jump right in. According to the CDC, Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia, as we know, affecting 58 million people in the United States alone. Can you provide an easy to understand overview of what researchers currently know about the progression of dementia? Sure, well, I mean, there are different forms of dementia, right? So Alzheimer's disease, is, as you mentioned, the most common form of dementia. And it's a disorder where a molecule called beta amyloid gets deposited in the brain and it has subsequent effects on the brain that are toxic, including that another molecule called tau precipitates within neurons or causes what we call neurofibrillary tangles. So Alzheimer's disease pathologically has these plaques and tangles that cause neurons to die. The connections between neurons are called synapses. That's how the neurons sort of talk to each other. And those are also reduced in Alzheimer's disease. So that what you end up having is, as this process goes on, a person then begins to lose their ability to think or what we call cognition, right? Now, there are other types of dementias. For example, there's vascular dementia. And what vascular dementia typically is, is problems with blood flow to the brain. You could have multiple small strokes that also then cause loss of neurons, loss of the synapses. And so again, you can have dementia. But one of the things that's important to note is that some people, instead of having dementia, will just have a cognitive deficit to the very specific part of the brain that's affected, right? If I had a part of the occipital lobe that was affected, I might have difficulty in seeing, but otherwise the rest of my cognitive abilities would be normal, right? The other thing that I should always point out is that when somebody has problems thinking, one of the things that we do always is we look at for what we call reversible causes of dementia. So you can have certain vitamin deficiencies like vitamin B12 deficiency that can cause dementia. If your thyroid isn't making enough thyroid hormone, it can cause you to have problems with thinking. And so we always look for those things that we can reverse. But typically, we look at Alzheimer's disease as being something that by the time you actually have cognitive deficits due to Alzheimer's disease, that's irreversible because you've already lost neurons that we can't get back. Gotcha. To my understanding, there are several factors used to diagnose and determine a person's risk of Alzheimer's disease, specifically including biomarker analysis of human cerebrospinal fluid in blood and neuroimaging techniques. What seems to be the most effective factor combination to recognize an increased Alzheimer's risk? So that's a very good question. So the National Institute on Aging put out a framework 
for diagnosing Alzheimer's disease, specifically the ATN framework, where the A stands for amyloid, the T stands for tau. So remember, the amyloid is what makes the plaques in the brain. The tau is what causes the neurofibrillary tangles, which results in neurodegeneration. So the actual loss of neurons and brain substance, right? When I was a resident, okay, so that's many years ago, that the person had problems with their thinking, and then you would get, at that time, a CT scan. This is even before MRI. And you would see on a CT scan, the brain really was small. I mean, had shrunk quite a bit, right? So, uh, and that process is something we call atrophy. Nowadays, if you see on imaging atrophy, that tells you there's some underlying, typically neurodegenerative process, right? But that's not specific necessarily for Alzheimer's disease. It used to be that we used to say Alzheimer's disease was a disorder that could only be diagnosed with tissue. So when the patient died, we'd look at the brain and we'd see the plaques and tangles. Then subsequently people actually would do brain biopsies to see the plaques and tangles. But then people began to do imaging uh, and particularly what they call positron emission tomography or PET scans. And the PET scans allowed one to actually label the amyloid in the brain. So you could actually see the plaques on a scan, or you could do what's called a tau PET. You could actually see the tangles on a scan. And that was where you could begin to diagnose the patient with Alzheimer's disease before they had passed away. What then people try to understand is, if I think this process is going in, could I begin to look at bodily fluids to understand this process better? And so it turns out that if you think about when a person first gets Alzheimer's disease, you know, in their 60s or 70s or 80s, that probably 20, 30 years before that already, the process of the beta amyloid depositing in the brain and causing these plaques is occurring, right? And then over years as that happens, that then you get the tau formation in the neurons that causes the neurons to die. And eventually you have cognitive dysfunction, right? So if you think about that beta amyloid cause of getting plaqued out, that if the amyloid that was in the spinal fluid now all of a sudden is going into the brain and getting in these plaques, that if I could have a sensitive way of measuring the amyloid in the spinal fluid, that I would notice that the amyloid is getting less in the spinal fluid and that that would be somehow telling me biologically that this process is occurring. And that process in the beginning is so early that if I did an amyloid PET scan, I don't see the plaque yet because not much plaque has occurred. But eventually, you know, if this process has been going on for many years, the PET scan becomes positive. And then if I continue on, the patient begins to have cognitive dysfunction, right? And so the ability to look at these proteins in the spinal fluid, I mean, we've actually had a test that looked in the spinal fluid that was available in Athena 20 years ago, right? Now, if you think about it, spinal fluid, I don't know if you've ever seen spinal fluid before, it looks like water, right? There's not much protein in it. And so if you're trying to measure these small amounts of beta amyloid, and specifically the N-terminal 142, the 42 amino acids 
that actually causes the plaque, you can measure that pretty easily in spinal fluid, or at least more easily than you can in the blood. And that's because the blood has a lot more proteins in it. And the amount of the beta amyloid is even smaller in the blood or lower in the blood than it is in the spinal fluid. So it took a while till we actually developed techniques that allowed us to measure very accurately these very small amounts of the beta amyloid or the tau, and specifically the types of phosphorylated tau that are associated with Alzheimer's disease. And the other thing that's important to mention is, you know, I mentioned before that other types of dementia included things like vascular dementia, but there are other disorders. I mean, there's dementia that's associated with Parkinson's disease, and that same alpha-synuclein can be the cause of what's called Lewy body dementia. And then there's things like frontotemporal dementia, which is more what we would refer to as a tauopathy. There's a tau is the more prominent pathology than the beta amyloid that's in Alzheimer's disease. And so with these biomarkers, you can actually differentiate what type of dementia a person has. And that becomes relevant because now we are developing treatments and we had the FDA approval of the first treatment for Alzheimer's disease, aducanumab. The interesting thing is that that turned out to be quite controversial. The thing that aducanumab without question could do is remove amyloid from the brain. And that's turned out in now over 20 clinical trials. We've been able to show that we can, we can remove amyloid from the brain. But the problem is that in all these studies, we basically did it when the patients already had signs of Alzheimer's disease. And it's pretty clear that by that time, there's already so much amyloid plaque in the brain. There's a tau, there's so much neurodegeneration that in fact, we're not reversing the process. Even if we're sort of slowing it down, it was too late, right? And so what researchers are doing now is trying to use these tests to identify patients when their thinking is still normal, right? When they're not at the stage yet where they've had a neurodegeneration. And what we're going to try to see is whether if we intervene at this very early stage, is this going to be the time when we're able to prevent Alzheimer's disease, the clinical manifestations of Alzheimer's disease? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that about the blood test, because that goes into my next question. Uh, I know that Quest Diagnostics recently released one of the first nationally available Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendment Certified Blood Test, and it's called AD Detect. For our listeners, can you give a quick summary of how AD Detect works? And additionally, can you explain how this new blood test will lead to better patient care in the healthcare industry? Sure. As I mentioned earlier, so there are very small amounts of amyloid in the blood, okay? So there's something called the amyloid precursor protein. And as that gets cut up by enzymes, some of it gets in the spinal fluid, some of it gets in the blood. And that A-beta-142, it's the 42 amino acids version of that peptide, actually gets bound up and causes the plaque. And that happens over years. So the other thing I should point out is that the ratio then becomes very specific for Alzheimer's disease, that they goes low. For example, if I looked at Lewy body dementia, if I looked at frontotemporal dementia, the A beta 142 to 140 ratio would be normal. And so that identifies that the 142, which is either in the blood or in the spinal fluid, 
is now placking in the brain. It gets lower. The 140 is not. So the ratio ends up becoming lower because the 142 is placking out, but the one isn't. Now, the reason that's important is, as I mentioned earlier, this process is, goes on in a person who has Alzheimer's disease for 30 years. If I can identify that person early on in the process, maybe then I can intervene. And so it seems like the, the treatments are able to remove amyloid from the brain, but we need to be able to do it now in such a way that we identify the patients before a lot of damage has been done. And so hopefully prevent the severe cognitive dysfunction that's associated with fulminant Alzheimer's disease. Gotcha. Kind of switching gears a bit, how is this going to help providers? And what is your plan for educating providers about AD Detect? Right. Well, so I guess there's several things. We've already done a webinar that was done with Steve Salloway, who is a well-known Alzheimer's researcher at Brown University for neurologists. We're doing another one with Dr. Fernandez from the Pat Summit Clinic in the University of Tennessee for primary care physicians, because I think it's going to end up being important to recognize that people need to know how they need to use this test. And I can tell you early on, the most important thing is probably still not necessarily for treatment, but for identifying patients for clinical trials. For example, we're working with the Alzheimer's Clinical Trial Consortium to identify patients who are positive for the biomarker, but don't have cognitive dysfunction yet, right? So these would be, in some sense, the perfect candidates to be evaluated. But to be honest, the pharmaceutical company who's testing a new drug may not want necessarily just this biomarker as the way to identify those patients. They may still want to confirm that with either a spinal fluid test or a PET scan, something that they feel that they can confidently measure before and after the treatment to show that the treatment has a biologic effect as well as preventing disease. Okay. Yeah, that'll be very beneficial, actually. The US FDA permitted the marketing of a similar diagnostics test for early detection of amyloid plaques associated with Alzheimer's disease. And that test is called LumaPulse-G beta amyloid ratio test. Can you explain how this test differs from AD detect? Right. So the LumaPulse test is a test very similar for the A beta 42-40 ratio, but it's performed in spinal fluid. Like I said, we've been performing that test in spinal fluid for many years already. The other thing that I think is important to recognize is that there are ways that you can enhance the ability of this test to predict the risk for Alzheimer's disease. So for example, there's a protein called APOE. And if you look at the isoform of APOE, most people are what's called APOE3. But if you're APOE4, you actually are impaired in your ability to clear beta amyloid out of the brain. And so that enhances your risk for Alzheimer's disease. Conversely, if you're APOE2, you clear beta amyloid better. And so it actually reduces your risk for Alzheimer's disease. So then if you looked at, for example, A beta 42 40 ratio, your APOE and your age, you could actually enhance the reliability of the biomarker to predict your risk for Alzheimer's disease. And I suspect what's gonna happen is that there will be 
algorithms and, you know, as I talked about earlier with the ATN framework, that you could have biomarker testing for all these different biomarkers and be able to be pretty darn specific in your ability to identify the type of risk for dementia that a patient has. Awesome. That's exciting. I'm excited to see how the new blood diagnostic tests are going to change clinical trials. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's going to change clinical trials. And I think eventually, I think it's going to change management, right? I think the other way to look at this is it costs several thousand dollars to do a PET scan. It probably costs somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,500 for the CSF test and a few hundred dollars to do the blood test. So it's going to make it more accessible for people to have this sort of evaluation and eventually be able to, as we really have good treatments for Alzheimer's disease and potentially at some point other dementias as well, you know, we will be able to use these blood biomarkers to differentiate and identify what kind of treatment people would be able to receive. And I think the other thing that I don't think people realize is just how expensive is the care for people with Alzheimer's disease. And if you were able to push back when people got Alzheimer's disease and really reduce the time that they were impaired cognitively, that would save dramatically on the back end in terms of the care for these people. Yeah, absolutely. As someone who I have two grandmothers who've suffered greatly from dementia, I'm very excited to see the future in this. This is awesome. Thank you, Dr. Racky, for setting aside the time today to join us on Healthcare Strategies. This was an amazing conversation. Well, thank you. My pleasure. And for our listeners, feel free to reach out to us at A-K-A-Y-L-O-R at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts on today's topic. You can also use that email to share any healthcare-related questions or stories that you would like us to consider covering. And if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give us a five-star review if you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you later. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.